0: This is March 23rd, and this is The Bruins Beat on CLNS Media. And welcome back to The Bruins Beat on CLNS Media. My name is Evan Marinovsky. Hope you guys have had a great day, a great week, uh, and it is a beautiful week. If you live here in the Northeast, I know a lot of people don't uh, but who listen to this, but uh, for the people who do, we made it. <laughs> we made it. It's a nice time of year. It's It's getting into the 60s. I think it's gonna be seventy on Thursday. We're the weather's coming through, the the hot weather is coming through, or the warm weather. It's not that hot, but it is warm. Uh, so we will take it. I am totally for this. I love this time of year. Um, obviously, this time last year got ruined because of the start of the pandemic. Uh, now it feels like we're at the end, and the, the weather the, the weather's getting nicer, and everything's coming together. Uh, not so much for the Boston Bruins, but uh, in this episode, Connor and I get into uh, the ramifications of COVID for this team. What are the long-term impacts uh, with COVID? I don't mean like symptom-wise. I don't mean like, you know, uh, regarding each player. I mean, like, are they going to come out of this better, worse? How does this affect them? Um, and we also get into whether or not they should have played uh, against the Sabres last week. I mean, was that really worth it, given that now they've had more postponed games uh, after that game? We also get into the trade deadline. And... Matthias Eckholm gets brought up again, as he will probably for the next couple of weeks. But we really get into, uh, Fludor Shinzawa and the athletic, uh, had put out like a trade proposal for, uh, Matthias Eckholm. And we get into whether or not that's worth it. We get into whether or not this is a team worth investing in. And that's a question I don't think we've really dove into yet. I don't think we've talked about that. Um, obviously, you know, The core is very important and we get into that, but we, we, we get a little rational. And I think that's something that that's a conversation that needs to be had now. And, uh, we certainly had it before we get into that conversation. Bet online is still the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Come on. You know that football might be over, but NBA, college basketball and the NHL are in full swing. Bet online even covers awards, TV shows, reality TV, all the stuff you love, real time updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine, including. March Madness, which hopefully, well, my brackets are p- completely busted, but they were busted on like the first day. So I guess it doesn't matter. Uh, bet online, as you covered for all the news, scores and odds, it is the best way to place your bets and it's free to sign up. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit by using promo code CLNS50. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore. Get in on that action. Bet online your online sportsbook experts. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Conor Ryan. And we're here with Connor Ryan. Connor, what is up?
1: Evan, I'm doing well. How are you doing?
0: Well, I've been better. Uh, this, we were supposed to record this a few hours before we actually are recording this. Um, and the reasoning is, is I've had quite the past 12 hours uh, oh, yeah. uh, yes. So I'm learning at a young age what it's like to uh have to deal with problems in your home, stuff around the house around, I think like 145 Sunday into Monday. Uh, my friend and I were downstairs uh watching Bar Rescue. We were watching unhealthy amounts of Bar Rescue because you can't get Tom enough. Taffer. Of oh yeah. You, you can't know? get yeah. enough of Taffer ripping apart some lazy bar owner. You really can't. Uh, and then two of my other housemates were asleep um upstairs and uh, one wasn't here. So it was just us two. And I was like, all right, I'm going to go to bed. You know, I'm going to go upstairs, go to bed. So I'm going up the stairs and I hear what sounds like the shower going. And I'm like, it's two. Like who is using the shower with the door open? And I go upstairs and I looked at the lights off. So I'm like, someone left the sink on. Like, Great job, guys. Like, yeah, move.
1: I think it was the water bill.
0: Turn the light on. The sink is not on. But underneath, water is spewing everywhere. The bathroom is like four inches thick of water already. And I'm thinking, Oh my God. So I run downstairs. I'm yelling for my roommate. I'm like, yo, yo, like got to fix this. Like what is going on? Everybody wakes up. Uh, one, one of my housemates dove underneath the sink. He knew what to turn the, the thing to turn, to turn <laughs> the sink water like completely off. So it stopped, but the water leaked through the bathroom floor, down through the dining room ceiling, the lights and then down into the basement. And this is like two 30 in the morning. At this point, we called the maintenance people. We were probably up until like four dealing with it. And then at like eight o'clock, the maintenance people show up. They're banging on the door forever. No one woke up because they never called of course. us. So someone answered the door like 20 minutes later, they came in, they thought they fixed it. And then I was asleep during this and I did not sleep much this past weekend because I had to work every day for March madness at 6am, which was a blast. <laughs> Fun. So that was fun. So I was like, Oh, it's gonna be a great night's sleep for me. And then no, 4am. Uh, and so all of a sudden I get woken up by one of my roommates, like shaken at nine, like, Holy crap, dude, you got to come downstairs. There was a, looked like a pimple coming out of the ceiling. Like it was just a caved in water pouring through into a trash bin. And that is that what we dealt with all morning. Maintenance was here, I think for like three hours, four hours, just, but they like opened up the ceiling and it's a mess. It's a mess. It's so, so,
1: what, so what you're saying is you've been better.
0: I've been better. I've been better. Short, long story short, I have been better. So uh, happy to be here, though. This feels a little more normal uh, than, the, than the bathroom across from me, just destroying the house. But uh, at any rate, at any rate, fun times, fun times this past weekend. You know who else has been kind of down bad? The Bruins. And not because of bad play, but because they, uh, they got shut down on Friday with COVID. Uh, four people, uh, the list, I think, has yet, but is remained unchanged as of Monday at 2.30. Uh, it's still Craig Smith, David Posternock, David Krejci, and Sean Corralley, if I'm not mistaken, And, and right? Jake DeBrusk. And Jake DeBrusk. Jake DeBrusk as well. Um, the entire second uh, line. Yes, the entire, <laughs> David Kre- hey, at least this time, David Krejci, you know, doesn't have anyone to play with because he hasn't playing. It's not because he like you know all his wingers went down to COVID and they got to bring you know Joakim Nordstrom back from Calgary and Frank Petrano back.
1: Of, of course, it's it's after they that line scores too, right? Like of course, Dupree oh, scores yeah. a goal and Craig Smith gets a five and five goal and now they're all shut down, which is fitting for how that line has gone this year, unfortunately.
0: Oh yes, oh yes. So what I what I want to hit on with the COVID thing, obviously, it's unfortunate, but there's two major questions I have from this whole thing. I think a lot of fans are wondering as well. Number one, should the game have been played on Thursday? You knew going in, a Sabres staff member had tested positive. You had, um, you had Sean Corrales out with a... Well, remember, Butch said everyone tested positive. <laughs> Accidentally <laughs> slipped up and said everyone tested positive. Obviously, they didn't. But uh, Sean Corrales tested positive at the time. It feels weird that they played. Like, I remember thinking the whole time, like, you, you have a guy who's been around the team who tested positive. Like, wouldn't it be smart to just like wait a day and then just reevaluate tomorrow? I mean, I know it's the end of the season; it's it's the middle of the season, it's hard to reschedule these games, but should they have played?
1: Alright. I mean it's hard to reschedule these games, but you know what now they've got a clusterfuck on their hands because they do have to reschedule these games. So it's like Exactly. Uh yeah, I mean and you look at that game and there's been plenty of cases obviously earlier this month you had both DeBrusque and Coil miss games, uh due to what was false positives, but still when I think you look at the circumstances starting this one where one, you also had a guy on the Sabres, as you said, test positive as well, which like, if you have both teams testing positive, even if they ended up being false positives, like you would think that would give them cause to like wait a day or evaluate and see what, uh, you know, what more of these tests come back in because obviously now you got a situation where instead of maybe waiting a day and then shutting things down, and preventing a bigger outbreak, you've got a, a situation where, uh, now the Bruins have to make up 28 games in 45 days, which is brutal. You know, I'm sure we're going to talk about how it impacts them in terms of health-wise. Maybe some guys that are on the shelf will get, you know, rested and won't miss games during this time off. But, man, like, these guys are going to be absolutely gassed by the time they get to the playoffs, if they get to the playoffs, you know. So, um, yeah, I I think you can look at this similar to – Thankfully, it seems like Buffalo hasn't had an outbreak yet. I don't think they've had anyone test positive in, in the meantime, which is good to see. Um, because this was the same exact situation in Buffalo before where they had to shut down for a few weeks, right? Where they were playing the Devils who had like two or three guys test positive. The, the Sabres were like, hey, we really shouldn't play the Devils. Angel was like, yeah, it's fine. What, what's the worst that can happen. They you're lost like, players. Kyle, you're tough. Get out there. Kyle Palmieri, I think, tested positive during the series. And then what do you know? There's a full-blown outbreak for both teams. And Buffalo, through no fault of own other than playing hockey, gets shut down for, you know, I think it was close to two weeks. So, so far, it seems like Buffalo's been able to avoid a similar fate this time around, maybe because the entire frigging team caught it the last time because the NHL wasn't smart with you knowing when to pull the plug on these games. But, uh, I mean, you look at it now. You know, when when the Corelli, when you first heard that Corelli was out, I think based on the way the coil and the brush thing went the, earlier this month, you imagine it was going to be a false positive, but you still can't go in with that, with that mindset, right? Like it's still, it's still, you know, as much as people are getting vaccinated and it seems like we're getting to the light at the end of the tunnel, you still have to be vigilant at this point because especially where the team was on the road, you know, they can't, you know, hang out in hotel rooms or anything like that you're still in a confined space you're still traveling together you're still it's not like uh you know when you're home where you know you're on the ice but then you know you're not hanging around in the in the locker room you know you have to go home afterwards so a bit of a different circumstance there so you would have liked that maybe they would have waited a day and, and see how more of these tests come in because um right now again you've got a situation where yeah I'm sure it's great that Brennan Kahlo and a few of these guys can get back healthy, maybe, hopefully, by Thursday, if they play Thursday. But, man, like, you've got a a crazy final stretch here now. It's 28, 20 games, 45 days is crazy.
0: Well, it's the thing. It's the logical idea. The foresight is, like, for the league, and you mentioned this, is like, okay, yeah, you're going to have to maybe make up one game. But it's better than making up two or more or having yeah. to control an outbreak. Um, and it just, to me, seems like the logical – Decision there was just to say, you know what? Like I, I expected them to not play Thursday night. I was very surprised when they did. I was like, well, they have a positive test. Both teams have one. Why would you not just take the night off, reevaluate the next day, and then go from there, see, see what you have, um, which they obviously didn't do. The other question I have coming from this, and this is something that we don't really have a definitive answer to, but is there a way this helps them where, you know, they've been inconsistent, for a long stretch of time. Now, this is not like a, a two, three week thing. This is a long time that they have been insanely inconsistent. Patrice Bergeron, I think actually mentioned it on behind the B where he was like, you know, we're just one and done. We're one and done all the time. Is there any way they come out of this break better? Is there, you know, it, what has to happen for that to happen? Um, because, you know, they aren't practicing right now.
1: Yeah.
0: They aren't practicing. Uh, does the time off. Ha- I mean, I that's it's, it, we've never been through this before, so it's hard to see, like, if this helps them or hurts them. I guess if there's any time it could have come, this sounds terrible. I guess it came at the best possible time. It didn't come after like a seven game win streak. It mm-hmm. comes when they are really inconsistent. So is there a way that they come out of this thing okay?
1: Uh, I mean, I, I don't think so because I think you kind of looked at the way they were playing those last two games. Seems like they were again. You take that win on on Thursday with the grain of salt. You, you beat Buffalo, but they, you know beat Pittsburgh on the road, which is a a good win. You got kind of the, the good good tides with Dan Vladar getting finally rewarded for a good stat. You come back two days later and you have a pretty complete win after a bit of a slow start in that Buffalo game. Seems like, you know, you look ahead, you got another game against Buffalo, which you should beat them down, and then you go into uh again back home Tuesday first game with fans against the Islanders who are very good but have been I think 500 on the road so I think you looked at it right they were starting to turn the corner I think you had positive things to build off of that Thursday win where you got 5 and 5 scoring DeBrusk got on the board um and now you're got a situation where you know I think any of that momentum is maybe lost a little bit right I mean we don't know if they are cleared to play Thursday, we don't know if any of these guys who are in the protocol are going to play. So like, you know, is it going to be the Boston Providence Bruins playing against the Islanders? Like that, that could be a situation where that could be just a, unfortunately, like a penciled in loss if that's what the roster shakes out as. And again, if it was a situation where the Bruins weren't at, you know, weren't in the middle of the the protocols where, you know, previously when Buffalo shut down, they weren't playing games, but they were at least practicing, right? They were at least working on keeping the rust off. That hasn't been the case now. So I think you're losing all of that momentum. And again, yeah, maybe – Uh, you know, when practice opens back up, when they're cleared, maybe Lozon's ready to go. Who knows where Brennan Kahlo's at? You know, maybe that helps out a little bit, but I think you're kind of not starting from square, square one, but I think you've got a situation where you got to build that momentum back up. And again, I I think you look at it now. It's like, great. We have a few bodies back. Maybe what's going to prevent a bunch of, you know, soft tissue injuries or general wear and tear from hitting them again in April when they're playing a game every other day, right? Like it's, I, I think whichever way you kind of look at it, I, I you know I think they would much rather be playing right now and keep on trying to building that hot streak and uh you know working on their game than kind of just sit around doing nothing. Like they can't. What, what are they doing right now? Are they just on their pelotons? Like it's not like you can really work <laughs> They're on. They're on the
0: roller skates again, going down the. Yeah, street. like
1: I don't think you can even go out right now. There's like the quarantine protocol for the players right now. So um, or now you're just kind of sitting around stewing because you probably felt like you had a good run, you know, building up there for the first time you strung back to back wins together, feeling good about your game. And now it's, you've hit the pause and you kind of are starting back from scratch. So uh, yeah, I don't really know what positives you draw from it. Cause I think, especially when you look at whatever, I think positives you, you want to try to bring from it, it's negated by the fact that now you were just running through a crazy schedule to end the year, which even if they go on a run and they add a guy at the deadline or two uh, and you get to playoffs, your team's going to be absolutely gassed Whoever, you, whenever you play. Unless the NHL, you know, pushes back, um, you know, the end of the regular season for a couple of days just to add a little bit more of a – give guys a bit more of a spell or, uh, you know, they just strike a few games off, which I doubt they would do now that fans are back in the building. I don't see why the NHL would now just outright cancel games um, when they could be making money. So – yeah, it's a, it's a tough hand that Bruins were, were dealt because I don't really see too many positives from it.
0: And the other, and this is something I think that you, you kind of mentioned there was adding guys. Uh, and obviously, you know, everyone we've both pushed, you know, they need to, they need to go out and actually get people, uh, before the deadline, not, not come April 12th, but well before then, if you want any chance at making a real push in this division. And, you know, I was reading to in the athletic. Uh, they did an article called if the Predators trade Matias at home, which team would provide the best return. And the first team edge was the Boston Bruins. It's funny when you read a athletic article about trade proposals, they're a little more reasonable than the and bleacher report, but that's either here or there. Yeah. Um, but uh, Fluto Shinzawa, his proposal for Matias at home from the Bruins would be a 2021 first round pick center, John Beecher and defenseman are back now Obviously, the Bruins need top four help. We have said this. This is one of the predictions we both had correct. Uh, we, we talked about this on Pope the Bear. We'll take, this we'll, is take one any,
1: of, we'll take any wins we can.
0: Yes, this is one of the predictions that we can flaunt and say, look, we got this right. We've been saying this since forever. They need They need top four help. And he would provide that. Matias Iacom would no doubt provide a ton of help to that blue line. However, however, is there a chance... Is there a chance? Now, one of the things mentioned in here that that Fluto mentioned, the reason this first-round pick would be so valuable is if, in, in his open is, the pick could be in the teens if the Bruins miss the playoffs. If the Bruins miss the playoffs, that pick could be in the teens. Now, I am someone who believes this core, it's aging. Krejci, Bergeron, Rask, Marshawn, they're not all – it's going to all be together forever. We know that. This could be their last year, especially with Krejci, potentially – So you want to maximize the window. That makes sense. Like that's what you should be doing. But, 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 but at the same time, do you think Sweeney, now Sweeney speaking today at five. Now I don't, I expect it's gonna be a lot of COVID stuff, but if you're Sweeney, do you look at this team and say, you know, we're just two pieces away from making a legit deep cup run? Because if you look at this roster, you don't get that feeling. You don't. Now when they're all healthy, you know, beginning of the season, we looked at the roster, like, f- the first couple of weeks and said, damn, that's pretty good. Like, you're deep at forward, you, you know, you got young, fast defensemen, but then injuries have kicked in, inconsistencies have plagued the scoring. Um, you have the, the COVID stuff, you got the wear and tear probably down the stretch. And you're going to go out and give a top four defenseman who you need, you're going to give away two firsts, because Beecher was a first-round pick, and he looks pretty good. You're gonna give up a you know a future potential top six centerman. You're gonna give up a potential mid first round pick, which are very valuable, and 9 and whatever. Like that's not a big deal. But main thing is Beattre in first. Is that a bet that the Bruins should be making?
1: Well, I think it, it all has to revolve around what you value out of that first round pick, and it's a it's an interesting kind of discussion this year, especially because I think in a perfect world, obviously the Bruins wouldn't want to pot ways with their first round pick, which I think whether it's, you know, a guy like at home or, uh, you know, I'm, I'm posting a story, which by the time this podcast drops, should be out, but looking at, you know, yeah. Looking at uh <laughs> potential top six edition with a guy like Connor Garland, who's out in uh Arizona, who may not be as well known as some of the big names we've mentioned, you know, the Palmaries, Halls, those guys, um, but is what I think the Bruins would ideally love to get where he's a 25-year-old guy. He's a even-strength scoring machine. He's probably not near nearly close to his potential. He's a guy who will probably get you at least 25 goals a year for the next five, six years. But he's also probably going to cost you a first-round pick as well, right? Because Arizona doesn't have a first this year because it got taken away because that franchise is – in shambles. Um, <laughs> Talk you know, that again, one. <laughs> but again, it's one of those situations where you know, do you weigh, you know, dealing those, those picks up for, you know, I think it's one thing if you want to get a guy like golland who helps out obviously and who's also 25 and he's an RFA, so you could probably keep him for the long haul. Um, for Ekholm, you have to weigh whether well, giving up that first is worth it too, considering the fact that you might have to let go of another young defenseman in the expansion draft as a result, right? That's something you have to weigh, but...
0: Ekholm has a year left on his deal after this year, is a, He
1: has a year left on his deal, right? So if you add him to the mix with McAvoy and Carlo and Grizzlick and Zaborro and Lozon, like, I think ideally you want to keep Ekholm. You're not giving him a first. You want to just let him go. But Same. still, you also have to weigh, do you lose Grislyk as a result? So... Um, But I also think it's one thing this year is interesting with that first round pick where you wonder if there's more added value at also keeping, you know, second and third round picks that whether, you know, the Bruins would be more willing to give up a first this year, because I think the fact that. Obviously, there's, you know, the the guys who are in the top 10 that I think have been in the whole year. There's Owen Power. There's a few of those other kids from Michigan um, that have kind of separated themselves from the pack. The, the other Hughes brother, I think Luke, Luke Hughes. So like, those guys have been on the draft boards the entire time. But, uh, you know, I, I think you look at the fact that scouts haven't been at games at all or rarely this year, whether it be up in junior and the NCAA, overseas especially. You wonder if the fact that, there's a lack of in-house scouting, whether that adds more value to second and third round picks where guys who maybe if proper scouting and uh, resources were available in a, a normal year without COVID, whether some guys who have first round talents going to be dropping quite a bit, or you find a lot more guys in the second and third rounds who we're going to look, you know, five, 10 years from now and be like, how did that guy drop so far? It's a well, cause the dude was playing in the WHL, you know, like, uh, it's probably a bad example, but like let's look at like Kill McCall, where he was in the AJHL, right? And like he was ours, yeah. So like he was a, he was a legit talent there, but like you know it's not like that league gets covered as much as some of these other circuits they have for junior hockey. And if you're not having scouts there to report, you could find another kind of diamond in the rough there that ends up being a a first round talent that goes to the second third round. So that might factor into factor into it for the Bruins in terms of what they want to you know, how they value that first round pick where, you know, as long as you got a pick in the top 60, top 90, you still have a good chance of getting a top guy, but it, it's definitely tough in terms of how you evaluate, you know, what you're willing to give up. Because I think ideally, you know, I think the perfect situation, right. Is you get a top six guy and, uh, an at home, but I don't know how you're going to do without giving up a first round for each guy. Right. And maybe uh, Paul Mary's not worth the first, cause he's a pending free agent, but um so it's a tough kind of tight rope to walk because uh, especially with Ekholm, because I think you're going to have a lot of other teams competing for you. Like it, it'd be one thing where I think the Bruins have the assets to swing a trade, but I think maybe a team that's more desperate that like, you know, the Bruins are not letting up a lot of goals. They've got like a solid structure right now, but they could really, really use home. Like the Winnipeg Jets need bodies. They need a guy yes. like Ekholm, definitely,
0: right? So yes.
1: um, you can make the case that, Philly desperately needs them, even though I don't know if they're even going to be buyers at this point based on the way they're playing. But there's teams, I think, are probably more desperate than the Bruins that are willing to give up a first and two top-tier prospects. I don't know if the Bruins are willing to go that far. So it's a a tough challenge for the Bruins. But I think when it comes to adding the deadline, I think, you know, that first-round pick has to be in play. Because, again, look at a team like Detroit, who's had first-round picks years and years and years now and haven't hit. Look at the Buffalo Sabres. I think when Jack Edwards was obliterating them for the entire broadcast oh on Thursday, he was going <laughs> through all of their, you know, top 10 picks they have in that lineup. How much is that helping them? How much is Rasmus Staline looking? Which again, I don't know if that's a product of playing in Buffalo, but you know, getting consistent picks isn't, you know, guarantee you success. I mean, look at the 2015 draft. Look at, look at, it, oh, they played which...
0: together though. They, pl- they finally played together. That, I think uh, that's which... a huge
1: win. Of which, you know, you look at that too, and as bad as that first round is, look at the value they found in the second and third rounds there. I'm not saying that the 2021 draft is going to be as deep, but you're probably going to have guys like a, a Carlo or a Lausanne who maybe could have been like a low 20s pick that fell through because of the lack of scouting. So I think it's definitely a factor you have to consider when it comes to valuing that first round pick.
0: You mentioned Connor Garland. You missed the, the biggest part of him. He's from Scituate. He's from Scituate, mass. He's a, he's a mass hole uh, yes. like Brad Stevens. Yes. Uh, but th- what worries me though with Connor Garland is, and I, and I don't, I, I use worry lightly because he hasn't really shown any signs of this being a, uh, this isn't his fault. He's only been in the mm-hmm. league three years. Yes. Uh, 18 points his first year in 47 games. That's good. Uh, 39 points in 68 games, 22 of those being goals last season. That's very good. Uh, 25 points in 30 games this year. That's very good. Uh, nine yes. goals in there. That'd be near the top with the Bruins. Um, what worries me though, and this is something we've hit on a lot, is is this another guy who's a fringe top sixer? You know, not proven, proven. And he can't. by the way, he can't be proven. He's been in the league three years. It's mm-hmm. kind of like the Kasha thing. Like, yeah. you know, Kasha was very attractive. When, he, when when they got him, it was like, damn, like they got someone good. But at the same time, it's also like, it's all real potential. It's not super proven. Again, I mean, is that a product just, Being in Arizona, I mean, I know they're not an offensively great team, but, you know, where would he fit into this Bruins lineup? You'd think he'd be next to Krejci on the right side. But again, he's not proven, proven. He's not the kind of winger that you can slot in next to Krejci and say, okay, he is not going to leave Krejci's right side. You know, there's a chance that Garland could go in, get zero points in five games, and him and Smith just switch. Um, And that's just something that continues to happen. So, again... Like, I, and I can't sit here and and pretend like I've watched a ton of Connor Garland. I haven't. I've looked at the stats. Like, I'm not going to sit here and pretend I'm a Connor Garland expert. Expert. I know you've been big on him for a long time and I trust your opinion. Um, so,
1: but he's definitely uh, not, you know, as much, as good of a player as he is. And I mean, I think he's, uh, trying to think what the stat was. It was out of, I think, 595 NHLers since last year. He's 21st in five on five goals per 60, which is higher than. Couture, Max Stone, Patrick Kane, Philip Forsberg, Kyle Palmieri. Who, it's funny you look at Kyle Palmieri's numbers, especially the last couple of years. Very good player still. Like I, if if he's available and it's you know uh, uh, a fringe NHLer and a second round pick or something, I think you do it. But oh, also yeah. a lot of his offense is generated from power play as well. Which, you know, I'd rather you like stick a guy like Ekholm up high to put on the power play, then you need another guy who's going to be, you know, at the half wall to, to help get that power play going. I think you need a guy who scores five and five goals, which is what uh Garland does. But again, he's not nearly as flashy as a, uh, you know, a Hall or a Palmieri. Like if they traded for him, I would be very pumped. Cause I think he's a very good player. And I think he's doesn't have injury issues, uh continue to like get better and better each year. Um but also, I think you'd have a lot of people who're pissed, like, ah, oh, they just got another guy from Mass. This guy sucks, and it's like, ah, oh, no, he's he's got a pretty proven record, but uh, for at least his first couple of years in the NHL. But um again, no, that one's going to be tough because I think you're looking at a first-round pick for that, unless you want to lump in NHL talent or a bunch of prospects. So we'll kind of see see where it falls. They got a lot of guys they could be keeping tabs on. So
0: yeah, and that's the thing is again, and it's the thing we continue to hit on is like. You want someone proven there now. Um, I, I like again. The stats show Garland, and, and, the, and the stats certainly support him. But again, it's like, can you know? Can you trust him? Come the playoffs, can, are you guarantee? Can you guarantee mm-hmm. that giving up a first for him? You are going to get, you know, a good amount of points. You know, just being able to stay next to Krejci—that's the biggest yeah. thing. Again, I feel like we've been. Everyone in Boston has been scarred. No one, there's like trust issues next to David yeah. Krejci's right side. Uh, right. Speaking of that, by the way, we haven't even mentioned it. 700 points for Krejci, which is ridiculous. You went through and actually found all, some of the crazy line mates he's had um, over the past since Aginla, right? It was since yeah. uh, 2014, po, po,
1: the post again know which is when in like that in the carousel more or less really started. So
0: yeah, no, and it, it is absurd. You think about it. I mean, I don't know how this would have worked, but and imagine like an alternative universe and Krejci's playing with Marshawn and Pasternak. And Bergeron's the one who has the rotating guys on his left and right side. Like, it could have been him. Could have been him. Yep. Never know. Marshawn doesn't Marchand doesn't stick back in the day. Never know. But, yeah, big congrats to Krejci. I mean, that's huge. Um, that's – that's especially with the with the guys next to him. I saw on Twitter a lot of people saying, you know, most underrated Bruin of this era. And I would say, yes, by far. Like, it's not even close. David Krejci is the most underrated player of this Bruins uh, team. Because a lot of people say Rask. But I think, like, there's a, there's a loud minority of fans who, like, hate Tuka Rask, but the majority think he's nasty. Like, the majority are, I would, I would say the majority are like, he's really good, um, and and elite. I don't think this is like a, like a split 50-50. I know when he left the bubble, people were pissed, but once people found out the real reason, most people were like, oh, well, he left for the right reason. So for me, I think Kraichi is by far the most underrated player. Of this, by the way, underrated isn't like long-term, not like, you know, Rich Peverly in 2011, like, right. like long-term, uh, like fixture of these Bruins teams. I would say Creech is probably the most underrated. Um, right. yeah. And then like, after him would be, after him would be Frank Fertrano. Of so, course. Obviously. Um, of course. UMass guy. Congrats to UMass, by the way, on uh, the Hockey East Championship. I can't believe it took me so long to bring it up. I should do that. Nice. That should have been the whole podcast. The championship game, the one nothing thriller. Um, I'll see you
1: in, uh, we'll see you in the, uh, frozen four.
0: That's right. That's right. I was pissed because it's funny. I'm like, okay, UMass, you know, on the, on the center of hockey stage going against Lowell going to help out the rivalry. I've always wanted that rivalry to sort of work kind of like the BUBC thing, but Lowell and Amherst just doesn't have the old, uh, doesn't have the, 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 the fire to it. And I was like, this game's going to do it. One One, nothing. Lowell plays the trap the whole game. Um, just boring, boring, boring stuff. The one goal goes in from behind the net. Um, but it was, it was a good game. Happy for UMass. Win, win's a win. I cover them. So I can't be openly a fan yet. Once I, once I graduate though, that big, me and you're going to be going at it when a UMass yes. and BU play each other, but, of course. um, which could happen by the way, could happen in this, in this tournament, the frozen four, that'd be crazy. If BU and UMass was the, was the finals, um, but at any rate, uh, before you go, Connors, anything that you would like to plug?
1: Yeah. Uh, you know, as I said earlier, we've got that Garland piece uh, coming out, which I think was worth a look at just to see what, how he would kind of fit in with what the Bruins desperately need, which is five on five scoring, high danger chances, the stuff that uh, they're in desperate need of. So we have that uh, rolling out. We'll have a few more breakdowns with a couple other trade candidates um, which we'll be rolling out all the next couple of weeks leading up to the April 12th deadline. Hopefully the Bruins make a deal before then, but uh you can find all that stuff over at BSJ. So subscribe over at Boston sports journal.com. If you want to follow me on Twitter, you can do that at Connor Ryan underscore 93.
0: Do all that. See, I can't wait for the Bruins to make a move at like 10 PM on a Saturday night of course. Or, or on a Friday night. That'd be, that would be perfect. That would yes. be so much Fun if that happens, mm-hmm. um, or the worst is when you wake up and a move is made. Yes, like you wake no, up that's, and there's a, that's and not ideal. Like I remember, I I think I woke up and they had signed Craig Smith like ten minutes before I woke up or something. Yeah. Right? I was like, I had missed it. And I was like, Damn it! Can't, can't you do it at like noon on like a Tuesday when we're all like ready for it? Come on, come on! Have some have some respect for us. Yeah. Uh, but at any rate, uh, this has been Bruins Beat. That's Connor Ryan. I'm Evan Maronofsky. You Bruins Beat listeners, have a great rest of your week.